This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm going to start the show off today by reading tweets, which is what Scott Morrison and I used to do on the iDesk so many, many years ago. That's from Elliot Friedman about an hour ago. We've been talking about this for the past few days uh, on this program, on the podcast as well. Friedman tweeting an hour ago, the NHL has officially notified teams that would like to hear their opinions on, quote, decentralization of the draft, having clubs stay at home while prospects attend like they do in the NFL, the NBA. If there's a desire for change, would most likely be in 2025 outside chance for this season in 2024. What this comes off of, and I tweeted about this about an hour ago as well, what this comes off of, there's a lot of teams around the league that believe that the draft, 28th and 29th of June, is situated too close to the opening day of free agency July 1st. And they'd like to spread that out, or it, you know, if they can't do that, which they can, next year's the same thing. Um, they're going to have to look at ways to make sure the teams can be in their markets and prepared for free agency, because we all know there's no such thing as tampering. Okay, I think that's a sufficient pause where we should all be able to have a giggle about that. Uh, so that's one of the news stories we're going to talk about today. Also, going to talk about this number: eleven thousand. 226. We're going to talk about that coming up here in a couple of moments. Uh, we'll talk about the Vancouver Canucks getting blasted by Rick Tockett. We'll talk about Leon Dreisaitl blasting his way into the record books. We're going to talk about Marc-Andre Fleury waving bye-bye to Montreal and plenty of other things, including a couple of games on the board around the NHL this evening. Um, we're going to see the Detroit Red Wings facing off against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Also in action tonight, it is the Ottawa Senators hosting the Washington Capitals. Watch that one on Scotiabank Wednesday night hockey. Scott Lachlan joins me now to kick off the program. Elliot has a writing day. Scotty's in, in the, uh, as we call it, Scotty, the bestie spot. How are you doing today, pal? I'm doing well, Jeff. Now, like, if they do centralized sort of drafting, like, would we be able to go on the road still? Would we have to stay home? How would that work? I would imagine that there might be... It's a really good question, and and I thought about that as well. I wonder if there would be reporters at either the arena or ballroom uh, where this would take place, where the players, their families, their agents would be, but if there would also be a studio component to it. But I don't know. Like, this is just like the, the NHL has sent this out to the 32 teams, just trying to gauge their interest because, as you know, you know, one of the great traditions of the NHL is complaining about the NHL, whether you're a fan, whether you're <laughs> a coach, whether you're a manager, whether you're a president, whether you're an owner. Sure. Uh, and so, you know, this is this is sort of picked up a little bit of steam, and they've they've always looked at ways to 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 massage the draft. I don't know why, Scotty, because I think that the NHL is you know one area where you know the draft is done so well that it rivals all the other sports. Like when it comes to comparison between the NHL and other sports, there's two areas that I think they really have it licked. And one are the uh, the uniforms, specifically the jerseys. I'll take <laughs> hockey jerseys over any other jersey or sweater in any other sport. And two, the draft. I just love everything about the way that they do it now. But teams are feeling that you know, like say example for Nashville, you're flying everybody into Nashville for the 28th and 29th and you got to fly everybody back to your home center for uh, for free agent day um, because we all know that you're not able to negotiate contracts or talk to anybody until <laughs> July 1st at noon Eastern and there's no tampering that goes on whatsoever Scott so they got to really yeah. hit the ground running here uh, to get all the contracts done so I, I think that 
what they're just doing now is seeing, okay, how many teams are interested in even having this discussion, which is why I don't know that this happens this season, even though there's still not a location for the draft. It's believed the NHL still wants to do it in Vegas. Uh, there was a rumor a few weeks ago that they were looking at moving it to Edmonton. I checked on that. Not true. We can scrub that one. They are still looking for a venue, but that's kind of Scotty where, yeah. where all of this comes from. Do you have a, do you have a thought on that one? Yeah, you know, I get the sense that they are still, again, trying to work things out with Vegas. We'll see how far down the road they get. I know it's been talked about, why not have it at the Sphere, where you 2 of course, has had a whole bunch of strings of shows going on, Jeff. I think that would be tremendous. If the NHL could be the first lead to get in there and present the draft that way, I think that would be tremendous. Yeah, uh, yeah. you talked about free agency and how wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and the whole bit. I think the Marty Baron <laughs> signing was the, 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 the most interesting. Remember that? It was like 1201, <laughs> and you're like, man, that was one quick phone call. How the heck did they come to terms on all that uh, in 60 seconds? It, Shara. The, the market just opened Shara. up. Yeah, the other thing is, yeah, Chara, Chara for sure. Chara, Chara the other was thing is, too, like was J- Jeff, when it comes to the draft, remember, and, and look, let's hope we never have to do it ever again the way that we did, but, you know, when it was done during the pandemic the way it was, and we saw it in the NFL, and we saw it in the NHL, and it was all done remotely, and people are yeah. going, you know what, this came off pretty nicely. This came off pretty nicely. Let's do this in the future. And we're thinking, no, no, let's not do this in the future. Uh, let's show up <laughs> in the city. Let's celebrate the draftees. Uh, let's enjoy a couple of days yeah. at the draft and do it that way so uh, i'm guessing there will be some sort of resistance towards this happening uh i'd be interested to see what the vote eventually turns out to be on this yeah and i'd, I'd love to be in the room for the conversation as well because as much as you know you and i or, or elia will throw it around different ideas pro or con as to how this could work i mean i'd be really curious to hear how teams make their cases either for or against this idea and what the motivations are uh, around all of it too mm-hmm. so, again this is just in the you know, let's stick the thermometer and 32 teams here and see what the temperature's at right. um, stage of the discussion. Nothing's final right now. Very doubtful whether, you know, if this gets royal assent, that it actually happens for the 2024 draft, more looking towards 2025. But we shall see where this one goes, Scott Lachlan. We will see where this one goes. Um, if the number... if if a show was brought to you by a, a number, I'm going back to my Sesame Street days. Uh, if it was brought to you by a number, today the number for this show would be 11,226. That was the attendance in Winnipeg last night. Mm. And a, a couple of things. It's the Jets, the return of Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, I know that the, the Kings aren't exactly a rival uh, of the Winnipeg Jets. Um, and I've always found it weird the way that people assume that when a player returns to a market that somehow fans will pay money just to come and boo that person. It's like, if they spurned you, why am I coming back? Like, it doesn't seem like much of a... It's a great story. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that it's a, a ticket-selling draw. But at the same time, I mean, this is a concerning number. This is a concerning number, not just for the Winnipeg Jets, where it certainly is. And we've seen... You know, not so subtle hints about needing the support of the season ticket holders, and we don't want, we don't need to make tough decisions down the road. I mean, this is a very sensitive market. They've already lost the team once, and now there's an attendance issue. I know fans are talking specifically um, about ticket prices, and I get that, totally understand it. But I think what this does, um, and I want to get to you about playoff expansion coming off of this, but I think what that number does is it reinforces how hard it is to do a rebuild and commit 
to a rebuild. You know, and I think this is part of the motivation why the Winnipeg Jets, as much as we talked about, you know, they're going to trade Shifley, look to the future. They're going to trade Hellebuck. They're going to look to the future. I think that it's really dangerous in a lot of markets to go through a rebuild because it hits you in the pocketbook. Like, whenever you talk to fans of struggling teams, they'll tell you, like, oh, just burn it down to the ground and rebuild. Okay, but the follow-up question should always be, if we do that, will you still buy tickets? Because generally, the answer is no. Now, Philadelphia put 18000 in last night for their opener against Vancouver. Mm-hmm. But this is year one, like really year one of that rebuild. Do you have a thought on the Jets, that number, 11226, and what that means for the future of rebuilds pretty much anywhere, Scott? Well, that's a great question, Jeff, because we were kind of debating today, you know, did Pierre-Luc Dubois or P.L. Dubois, I guess, as he wants to be known. Uh, By the way, I don't think that's going to catch on. I think it's always going to be Pierre-Luc Dubois, regardless of what he thinks. He's going to have to get used to that a little bit further. But we were trying to, you know, discuss amongst ourselves whether or not we thought he got booed, that he got cheered. I even think, you know, there was a little bit of apathy towards his return last night. I mean, uh, I didn't hear nearly as much vitriol as we thought, or maybe he thought, didn't hear much in the way of applause. There was a little bit here and there, but, you know, the attendance number would yeah. certainly speak to that, I think. Um, it's it's interesting. Um, it, it is a Tuesday night. It's Los Angeles. Um, it is the type of thing where, obviously, uh, you would have thought that they would have responded by the contract extensions that seemingly were unexpected that came out of left field. Um, I don't know what to say about it other than the fact that it is disappointing, Jeff. And, look, you know the market pretty well, too, right? The Winnipeg Ice had a really strong Western Hockey League team for a couple of years running. And I know that one of the premises of them getting a team in the first place was the new owners uh, have to make sure that they get some shovels in the ground and they get a junior hockey building built, which never, ever happened. And now the team's in Washington State. Uh, Manitoba, of course, has had a, a good long run there as well. Uh, so again, maybe maybe the market's just a little bit exhausted. Maybe the market right now is just a little bit fatigued, and it'll be up to the Winnipeg Jets to make sure that they win more hockey games than they lose to stick around in a playoff race for the, for these fans to come back and sell that barn out, which is what we've been accustomed to seeing in what is the NHL's smallest rink. So uh, it is a bit alarming. There's no question. If you're the Jets, you're probably disappointed to hear this, and it'll be up to them to go out and prove that they can win and be successful and be in that playoff hunt to fill the stands once again. Yeah, you know, I, I think this is the real first test for the organization uh, from a financial point of view. It, it's when it's, you know, the Winnipeg Jets are the, uh, the the best team in Canada. How long did we say that? There were a few years mm-hmm. we talked about that. You know, the Winnipeg Jets are cup contenders. And before that, it was the Winnipeg Jets 2.0 coming over from the uh, from the ashes of, you know, the uh, the Atlanta Thrashers and five owners throwing the keys on the table. And overnight, they, Atlanta turned into, turned into Winnipeg. And it was all enthusiasm and superstar players and really exciting hockey and some of the most creative fans uh, that we've ever seen or heard in the NHL. And now the question was always, okay, but what happens when the winning stops? What happens when it's it's a challenge to get two points and a lot of the superstars have left and you try to hang on to, to whatever you can? And the one thing that I come back to on this one, I'm really curious your thoughts because we're the same vintage, you and I, Scotty. So you remember 1979, the four WHA teams get mm-hmm. absorbed into the NHL and the league turns into the original 21, which makes about as much sense as the original six. And so I'll always <laughs> name every expansion the original. The original 21 in, uh, in 1979 and 16 teams made the playoffs. And here we are now at 32 teams 
and 16 teams still make the playoffs. Let me say only 16 teams make the playoffs. Considering how tough it is financially to compete in the sports market right now and how the league has doubled, yet the same amount of teams exist in the league do you think it's time, and I know the commissioner has always resisted, always resisted, do you think it's really time now to talk about expanding the playoff format to allow more teams in? Yeah, I'd like to see it remain at 16, uh, but again, with the money, and you bring up a good point, Jeff, I mean, what is it we say? Like, it's about a million bucks per playoff game as far as the revenue is concerned for each team out there, give or take a little bit. Easily. Yeah, so you're kind of looking at that. It means so much to get there, and, you know, for, for these teams... Uh, the extra million plus in their pockets is going to mean something. So could I see a day where they decide, hey, let's just expand it just a little bit. Maybe we'll go to 20 uh, and take it from there. Uh, could I see a day where that happens? Yes. Uh, I like it at 16. But if they get to 34 teams, like we eventually think that they're going to get to, probably one in the east, one more in the west, uh, I think yeah. the further discussion is going to take place. So uh, I guess since I grew up in that sort of 21-team league, you talk about our vintage, Jeff. And by the way, I liked it back then, too, because I was a diehard Leafs fan back then. And, you know, if you could creep in in the 14th, 15th, <laughs> or 16th spot, you were more than happy just to participate in the tournament. To heck with those five teams that weren't good enough to make the postseason. Uh, but look, I, 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 I guess I, I, I'm used to 16. It's been what I've been used to for decades and decades and decades. Yeah. But as people say, times change. Revenues grow, and the league has been growing the revenues back slowly but surely. Uh, So I don't want it to change. Might it change? Might it come into discussion, especially if they further expand? Uh, I think it probably would. You know, it's funny, too, just as a a sidebar, I love going back to those old Norris Division days with St. Louis and Detroit and and Minnesota and Chicago and the Maple Leafs, and it was just so bad. You know, the the hockey was just so awful. I mean, Scotty, you remember you would make the playoffs with, like, what was it, like 60 or 65 points? Like, we look back, and they're like, no wonder they always got scotched when they played anyone from the Smythe Division. You know, there's the Killers in Edmonton and Calgary and Winnipeg uh, had a great team as well. (laughs) No no surprise. It was just so so easy to, to get into the playoffs and you're right you can watch a really bad Leafs team all season long and next thing you know oh wow the Maple Leafs have suddenly made We've the playoffs got a with checks notes <laughs> 60 60 points Scott 60 points <laughs> You get hot at the right time. And I guess, yeah. I, I guess from a Leafs fan perspective, which I was back then, uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, I think, Jeff. You get into the postseason, you take your chances yeah. against the Blues, uh, and you go from there. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was a little bit more watered down, as you might have expected, with only five teams missing. The, the, uh, the other thing that, uh, that we saw recently, too, not to belabor the 11-226 number too much, but as well, the Washington Capitals home, street, home sellout streak came to an end as well. Mm. Like further, like another log on the fire here for let's uh, maybe do something about the playoffs and, and how hard it is and how much of a, a difficult decision it is for all teams to go the, the tear it down to the nuts and bolts rebuild. I mean, the Rangers, you know, they sent out their note and waved the white towel, but it really wasn't a scorched earth rebuild. And there's still a lot of established players on that team, and they brought in Artemi Panarin, and Kreider was still there. And, like, it, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't that. I mean, what Detroit or um, what uh, Philadelphia is going through, mm-hmm. that is going to be and will continue to be a traditional rebuild, which is why I was curious, and especially on a Phillies night as well, to see what the attendance was in Philadelphia yep. yesterday. Over 18,000, Scott. Mm-hmm. Like over 18,000. Again, fans will be with you for that first year of a rebuild. The question is, how long do fans stick with it before they start saying, 
eh, you know what? I'm not going to buy the ticket. Or even worse, Scott, like I've always felt that this is worth, is worse, buying a ticket but not going. Mm-hmm. Because not buying a ticket is not quite death. Death is someone has bought a ticket and has chosen not to go. That's when you're really in trouble. Yeah, um, and look, Philadelphia, anyhow, a, Phil, yeah, Philly Jeff is a, a real interesting case too, as we say, because look, they're riding the wave right now with the Phillies. Uh, the Eagles are still one of the NFL's top yeah. teams. Uh, the NBA is about ready to start up too. I think Flyers fans are a passionate group, and you're going to have those fifteen, sixteen thousand each and every night. Uh, will it become a challenge to fill the building more often than not this season? It might. Uh, this is where, I guess, John Tortorella and the patience comes into play. And who ever thunk it? I mean, years ago, didn't we think that Torch was the type of guy that with the Rangers and with uh, a Tampa Bay team that was, you know, obviously ready to win back in 2004, you know, he quickly became known as this guy that was going to be a guy that could coach veteran players, that you wondered whether or not he could, he could work wonders with younger players. And I think by virtue of what we've seen the past couple of years in Philadelphia, I think he deserves a lot of credit for the way he's handled kids. And we talked about, you know, Owen Tippett and the science experiment that he became last season. Like It was almost like the head coach was yes. bound and determined to make him that 40-goal marksman like he was in junior, the guy that the Panthers thought that they had all those years ago. He was going to give Morgan Frost, ironically enough, he was a healthy scratch last night, but he was going to give him ample opportunity yeah. Noah Cates down the stretch uh, to, to really step up and, and play a role so I think they're heading in the right direction certainly in Philadelphia is it going to take time absolutely is the building going to be sold out each and every night this season no not at all but I think that clearly uh, they're heading in the right direction we talk about the changes off the ice I think behind the bench they're pretty much set right now he deserves a lot of credit you totally nailed it with Owen Tippett. Th- that was the one guy. To me, that was a canary in the coal mine. Like, was this going to work? Because I remember when Owen Tippett came in, the, f- the first thing that I thought, and I-, I-, I called someone in Philadelphia as well, and I'm like, how are, like, we all know Owen Tippett, and we all certainly know John Tortorella. Mm-hmm. Like, my first thought was, this is the worst possible mix of player and coach. Like, what is Philadelphia doing with this one? And credit to both Tippett and John Tortorella, mm-hmm. it ended up working. Like, they both sort of gave a little, and, you know, uh, one looked up and one looked down, and they both sort of, uh, you know, eventually had, had parallel sight uh, on a lot of issues, and the relationship ended up being really good. But right out of the gate, I thought, oh, man, this one is doomed. Like, John Tortorella and Owen Tippett, good luck. Yeah. It's worked out. It yeah, really, I wonder. Really has. Oh, but, uh, I wonder, too, Jeff, if they had I, a heart-to-heart. And they had a sit-down, and, you know, John told him, look, I know you've got oodles of talent. You showed it in junior. Uh, We want to see it come to the surface here. Here's what you need to do. I need you to buy in. If you can do this, you're going to be this type of player. And to your point, I mean, clearly Owen Tippett bought into that. Uh, You looked at the numbers he had down the stretch last season, and you looked at his time on ice and the opportunity that the head coach gave him. I mean, he was putting up Austin Matthews-like numbers in terms of how much he played. Like, he was playing some games 24, 25, 26 minutes per night. It was incredible to watch. I'm always the type of person, Jeff, that feels like I want to see players live up to their potential. Nobody wants to talk about busts. Nobody wants to talk about a guy who came in with hype but didn't live up to it. I like to see players get, obviously, a, a great shot to fulfill all their potential, and that relationship's worked out well. 
Absolutely. Um, let me get your thoughts on, speaking of coaches, uh, the coach on the other bench in Philadelphia yesterday, Rick mm. Tockett, uh, he excluded Thatcher Demko uh, from the criticism, and rightfully so. I thought Thatcher Demko was exceptional uh, yep. last night. A great performance by the Vancouver goaltender, but right away, Tockett, you know, quick to blast his team. Uh, it was essentially, you know, who do we think we are? We haven't earned anything yet. You know, outside of Thatcher Demko, bad performance. And I thought to myself a couple of things. One, he's going to the criticism well really early mm-hmm. here, considering what Vancouver just did against the Edmonton Oilers in the past two games. Uh, and you only get a few shots to really have a good public blast at your team like that until the, the eyeballs start to roll in the dressing room. But the other thing that I thought here, Scott, was we've seen Vancouver Canucks teams in the past uh, go on road trips after some success, uh, specifically at home, go on like three or four game road trips and Vancouver's on a four gamer right now, lose the first game and then the wheels come off the wagon and they come back with, you know, one point to show from four games on the road or no points to show from four games on the road. And I wonder if Taka was just saying, Look, it was a tough game against Philadelphia, but we need to start getting points here. We're heading to Florida to play Tampa and then the Panthers, and then we finish up against Nashville. I don't want to happen to Vancouver what we've seen happen to Vancouver historically. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I think you're right on both counts. I think you're right on both counts. He wants to draw that line in the sand right now, and this is what we expect from you. You know, we pointed out as well the fact that, you know, you've got Rick Tockett going back to Philadelphia, where he broke in, where he's beloved uh, as a member of the Flyers going back to the 80s. And at the very least, he brings his team in there, and he's expecting at least a little bit of pushback, at least a little bit of compete, if not a lot of compete. He saw a little of it. And you're right. I mean, that could have been four or five nothing easily, if not for Demko, who made some 10 bell saves and made 40 stops uh, in the end. Yeah. But I agree with you, too. I mean, a coach has got to pick and choose his spots. And in game number three, to go to the whip this early, it's a little bit risky. It's not yeah. the type of thing you want to be doing every couple of weeks. This is the, the type of thing where you want to pick and choose your spots. And maybe it's to your point, Jeff. You know, this is what he's saying is, is something that needs to be addressed right now. And we're not going to let this mushroom out of control as the season goes along. We're not going to accept these types of performances. I think the same thing, too, Jeff, when you look at Lindy Ruff in, in, in benching Timo Meyer, uh, of, of he of the new contract extension being paid as he is now, and having benched him a couple of nights ago, it's almost like Lindy saying, okay, again, this is unacceptable, and we're going to talk about it right now, and whether it's Jack Hughes or whether it's Timo Meyer or whether it's Dougie Hamilton or whomever, uh, somebody will sit if I'm not seeing what I need to see. But again, you don't want to get into a situation where it starts to happen more and more and more. You hope that the player gets the message. Uh, you hope that he responds accordingly, which I'm sure Timo Meyer is going to do, uh, which I'm sure the Canucks are going to do as early as tomorrow night, when ironically enough, Rick Tockett goes back to another one of his former stopping grounds uh, down there in Tampa. So he'll expect the compete to be up, and I think it will be. I think the team will get the message. Uh, but again, it's the type of thing, whether it's you know benching a player like Ruff did with Timo Meyer and some others, uh, or whether it's criticizing your team to the extent that Rick did after the game last night. Again, you got to pick and choose your spots because if you do it too often, uh, that message is certainly not going to ring true. Let, let me pick up on that. That's an interesting point. Let me, let me pick up on a couple of things there. We saw in Columbus uh, Kent Johnson uh, scratch. Mm-hmm. We've seen Damon, Damon Severson scratched in Columbus as well. So the, uh, the benchings have begun. The scratchings have begun. The public blastings have begun. We're a couple of weeks into the season here. Scott. <laughs> like what happened? I mean, you mentioned the old, the old Norris. What happened to like easing into yeah. a season? Like does it not feel like it's, it's playoff hockey or hockey down the stretch right from the opening faceoff? 
on opening night. What happened to easing your way into a season, Scott? Well, I mean, Fridge told us today, and I know you and Elliot have talked about it on the 32 Thoughts podcast, too. You know, Fridge getting the sense that the, the pressure to win now is unlike anything we've ever seen before. Uh, and, look, there was a minor trade that happened yesterday, but then you're thinking, well, everybody, you know, thinks about, you know, U.S. Thanksgiving and, and the Ken Holland thing about taking inventory of your team and how good you are or aren't, uh, have to go out and address some deficiencies and those sorts of things. You know, maybe this season, maybe it doesn't take till U.S. Thanksgiving to figure out where you're at. Maybe there is going to be more movement uh, because of the fact that there is pressure unlike ever before on some of these teams out there. And I looked at a team like Florida, like that, that victory that they had in Newark against the Devils at the Rock a couple yep. of nights ago. I know they almost let you know the team off the hook, the Devils off the hook with the three goals they had in the third period. But that was vital for Florida, right? I know you're missing Montour and Ekblad, which makes it even oh, yeah. more important that you stop the bleeding, things don't get out of control. I know the Leafs will take on the Panthers coming up tomorrow night in a huge matchup. But I think it was vitally important for Florida to come off that road trip at least a little bit of something. I think it would have been vital for Buffalo last night to give up that lead with seven seconds left on Hagel's second of the night. For Buffalo to win it on the Cousins overtime winner, I think was vitally important for them because you don't want to lose your first three games. We talk about the Atlantic being the toughest and deepest division in all of hockey. You can't afford to fall too far behind or else you'll be you'll be left in the dust. And, and that's why I guess if you're a Tampa Bay fan, you're like, okay, well, Stamkos is hurt. He's missed a couple of games here. We don't have the big cat to bail us out between the pipes. We've only got one one to show for it so far. I mean, Tampa Bay's got to be careful here. Like, I, I know they've got the pedigree and such, and they've got some guys who will be making Hall of Fame speeches someday. But the reality is yep. you cannot let things fester. You cannot lose more than you win in the month of October and into November before the cavalry comes in to save the day. Like, you'd better collectively do well enough to at least keep yourselves relevant. Uh, a couple of things quick here, uh, Scotty, before we wrap up. Uh, one of them, uh, nobody haunts the Nashville Predators quite like Leon Dreisaitl. And a pair of power play goals yesterday. He's now the owner of the uh, the most power play goals in the history of the Edmonton Oilers. And he didn't mm-hmm. even need a didn't even need a five minute shift to get there. That's a Ryan Smith joke there for those that are in the know. Uh, it's a Ryan uh, Ryan Smith and Glenn Anderson are both. I know you got that one. Uh, both tied at 126. Now the record is 128 by uh, by Leon Dreisaitl. I mean, he's going to unless he oh, yeah. leaves somewhere at the end of this contract. He is going to mangle mm-hmm. this record like we talk about you know numbers that'll never get touched and I do wonder and we saw Marc-Andre Fleury is only six away from Patrick Waugh now for all-time career wins but I have a hard time believing anyone's going to beat Martin Brodeur's 691 uh, as far as wins go when you look at how goaltenders are these days and how you have to be on winning teams consistently like Marty was but this Oilers power play record is going to get not just and it already has been broken this is going to be smashed shattered disintegrated melted and poured down the drain by the time Leon Dreisaitl is done. It's amazing. He's amazing. Uh, I remembered what, what Wayne Gretzky said last season, too, because even though the, the Oilers, of course, won the five cups in seven seasons and Wayne was around for the first four, uh, he was asked last year about the Oilers' power play. And let's face it, over the past four years, not just a one-season run, but a four-season run, mm-hmm. there's been no better power play in the history of the league than what the Oilers have brought to the ice. So Wayne said, look, we scored a lot of goals back then, and we were running gun, and we were entertaining, and we all depended on Grant Fear to make the big save at the right time when we would get overly aggressive and take some chances along the way. As Wayne pointed out, 
I mean, the reality is they never had a power play that even approached what the Oilers of this day and age are doing, which is incredible to think yeah. about and also amazing to think about the second half of Drysaddle's career. Like, he's got at least another half of his career to go, at least. He's in the prime of his career right now, oh. and you're absolutely right. If he does get signed by the Oilers and play out the rest of his career at Edmonton, and we think he'll be the highest-paid player in hockey, I think, uh, until Connor McDavid comes up the following year, uh, look, I mean, the, the numbers are going to be astronomical. And, and to say that if he stays in Edmonton, he's not going to score at least 200 power play goals there, uh, I think that would be an understatement. Oh, yeah. that's, probably the, that's probably the ground floor you want to get on. Man, you're great. Uh, Scotty, it's always a pleasure. Uh, thanks, my man. Continued success and, and great work with Gordon in the Mornings on NHL Network Radio. Thanks, as always, pal. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. There he is, the great Scott Lachlan, who uh, steps in here today. The really thorough stuff on a number of different issues. Now, we didn't even talk about Marc-Andre Fleury returning to, uh, to Montreal. We didn't even talk about some of the key injuries uh, from last night and yesterday as well. But one thing I do want to make particular mention of, bravo to John Shorthouse, who with the, um, with the line of the night... After Igor Zamula scored his uh, first goal yesterday, by the way, congratulations, to give the Philadelphia Flyers a one-nothing uh, lead, John Shorthouse referred to him as the fabulous Zamula. That's for the wrestling fan and all of you. Great job, Shorty. Uh, we'll talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins with Rob Rossi here coming up in a couple of moments from The Athletic. We also have Greg Wyshynski, a senior NHL writer from ESPN for MVSW one more time. A lot of show to get to. Glad to have you aboard today, either listening across the Sportsnet Radio Network or watching on Sportsnet 360. Talking pens with Rob Rossi in moments. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And don't forget, top of the hour, not only do we have the uh, random hockey fact of the day, we also have um, random penguin style in uh, our man Greg Wyshynski, the old MVSW OGs know that reference. Greg, of course, from ESPN. Lots to get to with Wish. Uh, in the meantime, mentioning penguins in action tonight, the 2-1 Pittsburgh Penguins facing off against the Detroit Red Wings. Here for comment on uh, this year's edition of the Penguinos, where expectations are certainly higher after a certain trade for a defenseman from San Jose is Rob Rossi from the athletic Rob. How are you? Good to talk to you again. Good. I might have some questions for wish too, after that uh, story yesterday, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> uh, Te- text them in, text them in and I'll pass them along. I, 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 I will. He probably already knows them. So um, I'm good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Uh, pleasure is mine. Before we get to uh, any of the uh, specifics on the Pittsburgh Penguins and tonight's matchup against the Tread Red Wings, I'm curious your thoughts on Fenway Sports, uh, the owners of the Pittsburgh Penguins, because um, you know they're no longer the shiny new owner. Um, this is an organization now that you know certainly you've become well acquainted with, and you know now how they they operate. Um, and how they're you know working in the Pittsburgh market. The thing that is always intriguing to me here about this is out you know every major sports organization in Pittsburgh is family owned except for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Do you have a thought or an observation on how the Penguins' new ownership, Fenway Sports, does business as opposed to previous 
ownerships, or even the entire sports landscape in Pittsburgh in general? Well, I think um, that's a really good question. Um, my observation is that uh, Fenway got a little bit of a bad rap here in Pittsburgh because they used their first full season to evaluate things. Um, they were new to hockey. Right. Um, they, they inherited a management team, um, uh, inherited a coach, and inherited a bunch of stars, and they were trying to sort of figure out what they wanted to do. And, and frankly, two summers ago, which was their first full offseason, they, they really focused on the business side because they were concerned about some of the, some of the things there. Um, and they, 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 they made a lot of hires, changed a lot of their business practices. Obviously, this past summer, they focused more on the hockey side. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Pittsburgh's a weird market. The Roonies are a founding member of the NA- NFL. Um, they, are, they are a mom-and-pop shop as much as a franchise worth about $4 billion can be. Um, they, they don't have a lot of, of employees. They're not a big free agency team. I mean, they're successful. You can't argue with yeah. it, but they're just they're not a big corporate ownership. The Pirates owner, Bob Nutting, is extraordinarily wealthy but doesn't like to spend money. Um, Mario Lemieux and Ron Burkle were, you know, very well off, but um, they didn't have the resources that Fenway does. Um, even though the Penguins were a cap team every year under Burkle and Lemieux during since I think 2007, um, you know, the Penguins had to turn a profit to sort of make that work. And a lot of years that, you know, that ownership was comfortable with losing, you know, seven to $10 million if it meant keeping the team competitive. What I've noticed from Fenway is that they are really investing in areas beyond the salary cap. They have allowed Kyle Dubas to really put money into the AHL team. They view it as as many NHL quality players that they can have down there as a real advantage. And they view that as a systemic uh, advantage for them because they know a lot of teams don't view the AHL as one where you need it to be that. So, and they've, they've invested in some of the things like, um, you know, facilities. Um, They brought in a whole new medical team um, uh, or excuse me, whole new training team. So things like that, uh, they are really putting a lot of money into. They've increased the analytics budget, um, things like that. So mm-hmm. I, I've been impressed with them so far. I mean, I give them a lot of credit. I think the easy thing to do last year would have been like, you know what, let's just pay Hextall and Burke for the remainder of their contract and let them work it out, and then, you know, we'll see. But, no, they, they thought they could get Dubis. They took a chance, and mm-hmm. they ended up winning. You know, I um I, I think we're all sort of looking for what the the strategy is here for uh, Kyle Dubas, um, a new general manager of the, of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, it, it seems to me you're there, you're a lot closer, obviously, and and plugged right in. It seems as if the strategy is this: Look, we have Crosby, we have Malkin, we have Latang. Um, as much as we want to, to your point, Rob, you know, build up the American League team as a, and turn it into a hothouse for talent. Uh, we need to get uh, more prospects in the pipeline here. You know, we need to start creating the next wave of what this Pittsburgh Penguins team is going to be. But as long as we have those players that I just mentioned, we need to stay competitive. The target that I look at for the Penguins is this. For as long as Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and now you throw Carlson into the mix as well, are going to be on this roster. I don't think anyone thinks we're chasing Stanley Cups in Pittsburgh, but there's a shot that every year we can finish sixth 
in the conference and make the playoffs, maybe one year win around, but we're still going to stay competitive. We're still going to make the playoffs. Long runs are in the rearview mirror, but it's still going to be a competitive team as long as Crosby's here. In the meantime, um, underneath all of this, we're going to rebuild the prospect pool. We're going to rebuild the American Hockey League team and all those other things that you talk about. So when it's time for Crosby, Malkin, Latang, uh, Carlson to do whatever they're going to do when their careers are over, we'll have a new team ready to go. Does that make sense to you? Um, almost. Um, they want to win the Stanley Cup, and they're going to try to win the Stanley Cup. Um, they believe that, I think accurately, that the data shows if you get into the playoffs, you have a really good chance of of making a deep run, even if you're not one of the top-seeded teams. Um, they aren't going to rebuild ever as long as Sidney Crosby is in Pittsburgh and Sidney Crosby this summer is going to sign a, an extension to stay in Pittsburgh. He's going to finish his career here. So the talk of rebuilding is its something that I think a lot of people around here talk about, but I think they look forward to it more because they associate rebuilding with getting a number one pick and ending up with a new or Crosby, and it's not the way it really works. Um, I think their window yeah. for this particular group is probably this year and the next two. Uh, that's when Malkin's contract runs out. But they're not going to fully embrace a, a rebuild until Crosby's done playing. They are trying to mm-hmm. re, remake the prospect system and so that they can continue adding good players around him. But, you know, if, like I said, if Sidney Crosby wants to play till he's 45, the Penguins are going to be in a go-for-it mode until he's 45. Um, that's just the way it is. That's what Fenway has made clear. Um, they don't want to do it at the expense of, of – gutting the system but to be honest there's not much left to gut so um you know i think dubis has he has a seven-year contract he's pretty big security but you know they they believe they can win again here and and they're going to keep doing that until something shows them conclusively they can't what does crosby's next contract look like you mentioned you know this this summer he's He's signing one that's going to make sure he remains a Pittsburgh Penguin for the balance of his career. Um, you know, right now he's he's 36 years old. Uh, we've all followed the story going back even you know before he played in the queue with Ramuski. Um, what does this next deal look like? Now we know the salary cap is is going up, so that makes it a little less painful. But I am curious, as are a lot of people, what do you think the number is, Rob? Um, I think it depends. I mean, I think that. You know, I mean, I, I've talked to his people about this. I think it depends on whether Sid wants to say, look, I ain't going anywhere, but I'm going to sign two-year deals at maybe 8.7 so that the number stays the same, but it kind of puts the pressure on the Penguins to live up to their end of the bargain of, of building a well around him. Or maybe he signs a, you know, a five-year deal and, and lets that number drop a little. I mean, he's going to do whatever is – the best situation for him to make sure he stays competitive. When I say he's not going to play anywhere else, I don't mean that this next contract will necessarily be his final contract as much as I mean as he has no desire to leave. He's not a fan of change. He doesn't feel like he has to go somewhere and chase the cup. He's won three. His legacy is now tied to this organization. In fact, I would imagine as soon as he's done, he'll take a year off and then be 
welcomed into this organization in some sort of front office role, um, uh, sort of the way his hockey hero Steve Eiserman was uh, with Detroit. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it were me, I'd, if it were me, I would take two year deals because that puts them under pressure to uh, to live by their word to build around you, and also then you can sort of hit your cap number based on like what the team might be best for the team. Um, but I think, you know, you could see him do a five-year deal. And if he does that, I think the cap number might dip a little bit. But, I mean, it's not like – I don't see Sidney Crosby playing a new contract under on a $5 million a year deal, nor should he. He's, despite what certain lists mm-hmm. say, to my mind, he's still one of the ten best players in the league. Uh, early returns on Eric Carlson. Is there something we should look at away from the boxcar numbers? Uh, you know, he's a really interesting guy. I – um. I have a much better appreciation for him now having watched him practice and play regularly than I did when I would see the highlights. Um, it's actually better defensively than I, I think a lot of people realize. Um, I do wonder if he gets that reputation because on some of the teams he's played on, he's had to be like almost like the number one offensive guy and maybe take more chances. So far through three games, he's been pretty good defensively. Things I've noticed – he might have the best instinct of any defenseman I've covered in 20 years of being able to keep the puck in and make a play with it, not just keep it in, but, you know, mm-hmm. have a keep and put it in a place where he's expecting a forward to be. Um, I think the Penguin forwards are starting to figure that out. His decision-making coming out of the zone with either making a first pass or skating with the puck a little bit. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, uh, I grew up watching Paul Coffey here, and so that's the only comparison I can make. But in terms of coverage, um, I've never seen a Penguin defenseman do it this well. Uh, I haven't seen too many defensemen do it this well. So, And he's fit right into the room. So, so far, everything that he's been advertised to be, he's been. Um, uh, and I, it looks to me like he's healthy and has some good hockey left in him still. Yeah. Um, well, uh, reigning Norris Trophy uh, champion, of course. Um, outside of Carlson, I'm curious about the other players uh, that Kyle Dubas brought in, whether it's Riley Smith, whether it's Matt Nieto, Lars Eller, Jansen Harkins on waivers, Noel Achari, uh, Ryan Graves, Alex Nedeljkovic. Like, Kyle Dubas did not take this job and say to the, to the marketplace, I'm going to take a year and see what's under the hood. Uh, he got to work early and redid this team in a lot of ways. Uh, is there one player outside of Carlson who's the obvious answer, Rob? Is there one player or are there a couple of players you're most curious about that Dubas brought in? I really like Ryan Graves. I don't think he's necessarily figured it out yet in Mike Sullivan's system, but I think when he does, he's going to be a real big addition and give them a top four that's enviable um marcus Pedersen is a really sound defenseman i don't know if people think of him that way around the league but him and carlson are already showing great great chemistry together and when graves rounds into form i think with him and Latang, the penguins are going to be really strong on the back end when healthy with those top four um i like a lot of the stuff he's done with the bottom six um you know i think lars eller to me is the perfect type of bottom six forward for them he's very defensively conscious um he can still provide a little bit of offense but i mean he plays a responsible game which is what they need to me the biggest offseason addition was their backup goalie 
Um, Alex Nedeljkovic has looked really strong. Um, I think that's one area where the Penguins have really struggled. I, the math I did last year, last week was in games Tristan Jari didn't start last season, their goalies gave them a 905 save percentage and a 3.4 goals against average. That's just not that's not acceptable. Um, they want to play Tristan Jari no more than like 55 games uh, so he can be healthy. Yep. Um, so they needed a they needed a backup goalie. I think that was was a better pedigree than Casey DeSmith, who I thought played well, but you know he sort of is a guy that you know when you overextend him, the warts show. Um, I think Najelkovic can be a guy that not only steps in adequately if if Jari gets hurt or plays poorly, but I think he's a guy that when you put him in net as they did against the Flames Saturday, he can be a big reason you win these back-to-back games or at least get a point in them, which is going to be crucial for when you're the oldest team in the league. So to me, that's been the best thing Dubas has done other than Carlson is address the backup, address the depth at goaltending. When you um, when you look around, uh, we'll end on this one, Rob. When you look around the Metropolitan right now, there are two teams that jump out at us right away, Carolina and New Jersey, as being in a distinguished class. Um, New Jersey expected to do much. Um, the Carolina Hurricanes, you can make the point, are expected to win the Stanley Cup. Where do you, like, what group of teams do you put the Pittsburgh Penguins in with in the Metropolitan? I would put them right below those two, although I am curious you know, Carolina's had so much playoff disappointment. I do wonder with the style they have to play in the regular season and with the way it hasn't worked out in the playoffs, if one year sort of mentally that gets at them. Um, and New Jersey's still pretty young and I think has legitimate questions on the back end. Um, but I think the Penguins are right there with the Rangers as sort of the, the next best team in the Metro. Um, you know, I think both teams need a lot to go right to get into the top two, but we've seen stranger things. But I think what the Penguins did this offseason is put them put them in put them in a place where they don't need to necessarily they shouldn't need to fight to make a wild card. That doesn't mean they won't end up a wild card, but I don't think they're gonna be like fighting yeah. to make it. I think that they're gonna be sort of fighting for second or excuse me, third or fourth in that division and and see where it ends up. But I mean, they're a, I think they're a sneaky team for this reason. I get the sense I've covered these guys through their whole run, that there's a motivation amongst Crosby, Malkin and Latang, partly because of last year and the way it went, partly because Carlson has just brought an energy to this team. I get the sense that they feel if they get in, you better get them in round one. Cause if not, that old winning feeling is going to kick back in and they might surprise some people. As, as much as a team that has Crosby can sneak up on people or as much as a team yeah, that has yeah. Malkin well, uh, can sneak wanna, up on people. But I, I do know, I do know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. They haven't won a no, playoff round I mean, uh, over you there. It's been a while. So, but um, yeah, I think, I don't think we're quite ready to write the, uh, write the, uh, the, the end, end chapter yet on, on the Crosby era penguins. Um, and those who do do so at their own peril. Absolutely. Um, really appreciate this. Uh, the penguins face off against the Detroit Red Wings. One of two games on the board this evening, Rob, always a pleasure, man. Enjoy the season. We'll check back regular. Appreciate it. Thank you. 
There is Rob Rossi from The Athletic covering the Pittsburgh Penguins in action tonight against the Detroit Red Wings. Time now for Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local, Matt Marchese, Bet Local. What do you have your eyeballs on? Is it the Penguins, Red Wings, or the other game on the board tonight? Yeah, it's the other game on the board tonight. It is the Capitals at the Senators, the puck line minus one and a half in favor of the hometown Senators. Washington is 6-1 and one in the last seven matchups in Ottawa and 18-5 and five in the last 23 overall. The favorite is 38-13 and 13 in the last 51 matchups. And, of course, Josh Norris is expected to make his debut tonight. Mm-hmm. That's the big one, right? Uh, there's a couple of things here. That is an, an absolutely huge one. Uh, we cannot underscore how much. You know, we looked at the Ottawa Senators this year and said, okay, down the middle, if your one-two centers are Tim Stutzla and Josh Norris, you're looking real good. Expectations are high. And I don't know about you, Maddie, but did it not seem that every time DJ Smith was asked about Josh Norris, he just got more and more annoyed. It's almost as if to say, don't ask me about Josh Norris anymore. He's going to be in the lineup when he's in the lineup. And it looks like tonight uh, he will be in the lineup. There's a there's a number of star players involved in this one. We've talked plenty about the Ottawa side of things, um, being a, a Canadian-based uh, radio TV property here. Um, and we all know who the stars are with the Washington Capitals, and that is, of course, led by Alexander Ovechkin. And John Carlson is back, and that is a beautiful thing for the Caps. The guy that I'm interested in, like really, really interested in, is Connor McMichael. And we talk about players that need to have a show-you, show-me season. And we think about Alexi Lafreniere with the New York Rangers. It seems as if this is going to be the season where the Washington Capitals give Connor McMichael a good, long run and a good, long look. Now, he was called up a couple of years ago by the Caps, probably rushed, but they were in an injury situation. They needed him to do spot duty, probably rushed in too soon. Here's a guy that's a really high-level young player. I mean, he's still only 22 years old. He's had some excellent coaching along the way, you know, going back to minor hockey and the Ajax Pickering Raiders with Danny Minnings, to Dale Hunter with the London Knights, to Spencer Carberry with, uh, with Hershey and Todd Nelson, and now back with Spencer Carberry in Washington. Really keep your eyes on McMichael when you're watching the Capitals this year because everybody in the Caps organization is as well. And also, let's just hope this thing gets to a shootout. Yes, please. So we can see Evgeny Kuznetsov crawl to the net. It's like my men's league shootout. Like, that's about how fast I would go. But that would be my top speed. That was Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I got people sending me pictures of that Ken Reggett save on Cavallini. Gotta find that. Hey, Matt Marchese, do you know what I'm talking about? The Cavallini save, the Ken Reggett save? Mm. Toronto, St. Louis. I know I'm creating a generation gap between us here. You're probably going to say, no, I don't, old man. I, no, I don't, old man. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I don't. Okay, it's what so year good. was that? I may not have even been born, Jeff, if I'm being frank with you. 
I want to say, geez, 85, maybe oh, dude. 84. Dude, come somewhere on. Somewhere in there, 86. I know, somewhere in there. Yeah. No. I know, but like, I was I'll not. Still... I was not born. How far, how far back does your hockey knowledge go? Like, how can you say, like, what was your first Stanley Cup you remember? Um, I feel like I remember the Rangers Cup. So 94? Yeah, I feel like I remember that a little bit. I definitely do remember like the 90 like the 95 96 Red Wings and and Devils and like I remember those years for sure. Um but before that is a little hazy as you know when the Rangers won I would have been a mere 5 years old. Yeah, I see that was mine too. Like mine was was Philly and and, uh, and Boston. Yeah. So I would have been 5 years old at that point i remember watching that on my cousin's couch in livonia michigan wonderful spot i'm sure that would have been my earliest and now and now i feel old because your first was 1994 yeah it happens great can i can i i want to bring something up here because i know you i know you find this stuff very because it's it's the oddball stuff that you love um you know what i love this early in the season is finding the person it's like this one doesn't fit in the top scorers list okay so I remember one year it was like Daryl Sador <laughs> had like 10 points in the first four games or something and was leading the NHL. Yep. And everybody was like, oh, my goodness, Daryl Sador. Uh, shout out Daryl Sador, who was on the program last year ahead of the Memorial Cup. Now, um, Brady Shea. a good defenseman. Yes. Yes. Sador is a good defenseman. Yeah. Brady Shea's that guy this year. He has six points in his first four games, and he's tied for second with a bunch of guys. Uh, not named. Uh, who is first, by the way? Uh, not named Leon Dreisaitl. So there's always the yeah. one guy. Daryl Sador um, is the one that stands out for me. Is the one I remember being like, "Holy smokes, that's a hell of a start." Uh, which is interesting because if you look at that Carolina blue line, which uh, I believe, and I think I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I'm not in the minority here. Uh, a lot of people believe is the best blue line in the NHL. If you looked at that blue line and said, "Okay, a week and a half into the season, someone on the Carolina blue line is going to be second in the NHL in points or tied." Uh, you would say probably either Brent Burns or Dimitri Orloff, right? Uh, yeah, I think that would be a pretty safe bet. I, even even Tony D'Angelo, I would say, oh, okay, I can I or can Tony see D'Angelo, that early yes. in the year. Yeah, but not Brady Shea had a really good yeah. year last year, though. Like that's the other thing; he's a pretty underrated offensive defenseman. I know he's not putting up eighty points a season, but last year he had a good year. So I mean, it's not it's not completely far-fetched like he he did have uh where is it here he scored 18 goals last year and had 20 assists like it's not mm-hmm. it's not bad i mean it's not six points in four games good but he's certainly a guy who can put the puck in the net as well a couple of interesting players there i think we're wondering what uh because you know, players on expiring contracts here we'll see what the carolina hurricanes do i, I think this is a team that could slash should uh win the stanley cup but brady shea brett pesci now, there's a pause right there. Brett Pesci on an expiring contract as well. Yeah. 28 years old. Brady Shea, 29 years old. They feel like they're in that window with the guys that are right around that age. Like, they, they have young guys like the the Natchez's and, and the Kotkaniemi's and the Taravainen's, and they have those guys. But they also have mm-hmm. the older guys, the Stalls, the Burns, the, you know, kind of go down the list of guys and then there's the one that we wait to come back from injury and maybe continue on the path that he was on last year, and that's Vechnikov, the guy who we all expect to score yep. 40 goals every year. And 
they are going to not just that tread water. They're going to be really good. But when they get him back, that'll be like a free acquisition. He he has the – I say it every year, and one year I'm going to be right. What <laughs> you got? I always say, oh, the Carolina Hurricanes is going to win the Stanley Cup, and one year I'm going to be right, maybe. Uh, I think uh, Sveshnikov has the potential to be a Rocket Richard Trophy winner. Sure. Or at least in the conversation every single year. Like, that's how good Svechnikov is. I don't think that anyone who's followed his career thinks uh, thinks otherwise. Um, I know you got a punt, but do you have a quick thought on uh, Cap sends Penn's wings, one yeah. or the other? Yeah, I mean, let's go with the with the the wings and the penguins. I'm, I really want to know what Detroit is because I thought that their offseason, aside from the Debrinket trade, was a very uninspiring one, to be honest with you. Like, I like the Daniel Sprong sign, and I know you like it too, but... Outside of that, the moves on. Like I look at their defense and I say that's that's not a playoff caliber defense right there. But I wonder how uh, they're going to manage. No. Uh, they have a lot of third pairing guys mm-hmm. on that back end. With all due respect, it's Mo Sider and uh, listen. I like Jake Wallman too, but it looks like there's a bunch of third pairing guys here. The problem that I have with the Detroit Red Wings on their back end is how much blocking they're doing for Simon Edvinson. <laughs> Who don't you think by now should have probably had yes. full time spots on that back end? I do, but it's weird, right? Like it seems as if the last two the, the the last two summers, and I know Maddie, you got a punt. It seems as if the last two summers in Detroit, what's happened is, I don't know whether this is a plan or this was a plan that was strongly encouraged from offices above Steve Eiserman. But it seemed as if they had gone far enough in the quote-unquote rebuild of this organization and they wanted players in here, NHL players in here, uh, because we need to get to the playoffs with this shiny new building, which we would like to show off during the playoffs and pull some revenue out of during the playoffs. Like, I thought the Debrinket deal was a real smart one for the Detroit Red Wings. Duh. Um, the Red Wings style of play is a lot more akin to how Alex DeBrinket is going to be successful than how he found himself playing with the Ottawa Senators. The Sens last year were not a good fit. DeBrinket doesn't play well on teams that offensively play fetch. There are some players that do. I mean, case in point, Brady Kachuk. Um, but that really wasn't DeBrinket's game at all. The Detroit Red Wings obviously play a lot closer to the way the Chicago Blackhawks did when DeBrinket was there. So that's why this was a trade that made a lot of sense. And we all just assumed because of style of play and hometown that this was going to be a fit. And it has been. But it seems as if the last couple of years, it's been the mantra has been bring in NHLers, whether it's Copper Comfort, whether it's uh, Perron or Sprong. Bring in players now. We're not taking this thing down to the nuts and bolts to build it back up. We shall see tonight. Only two games, and they're both early. Enjoy them. It is the uh, Ottawa Senators hosting the Washington Capitals at a Trent Red Wings facing off against the new-look Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, thanks to our supervising producer, Matt Marchese. Uh, to our full-time hands-on producer, David Sis, Lance Kennedy, running the keyboards back at Master and General Nick, making it look good on Sportsnet 360. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Merrick Show back in 22 hours. Enjoy the games tonight. We are back tomorrow.